0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, christianquestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. There is no healing.
1: Simon Signoret once said, Chains do not hold a marriage together, it is threads. Hundreds of tiny threads which sew people together through the years. Welcome to Christian Questions, I'm Rick and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years.
2: And I'm Jonathan, and that long term different perspective has its basis in three things godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1008th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the Eastern and Central United States for many
1: years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's on the table today?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, are there biblical secrets to a good marriage? And our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become
1: one flesh. So, are there secrets to, are there biblical secrets to a good marriage? If you believe in the Bible, then you believe that there are two institutions that have existed as long as humanity has been on this earth. First, there was the institution of obedience and honor to the Almighty Creator, God created and blessed Adam, and he in turn owed his allegiance to God. The second institution was that of marriage. Upon the creation of Eve, it was declared that Adam would be committed and faithful to his wife, Eve. Loyalty to God and marriage. The two God-declared necessities that began the human journey. Now, as we look around at our present conditions, two new things become ominously apparent. First, we have all but lost our godly loyalty. And second, we are rapidly losing our marital bearings. For many, marriage still remains a vital piece of the human puzzle. So how do we keep its vitality relevant? What do we do? How do we act? What do we avoid? Our best course of action to find answers is to go back to the book where it all started So, Jonathan, this truly is a Bible study on marriage.
2: And, Rick, in this world, it's a challenge to keep a marriage together and keep the right perspective in life.
1: It is a massive challenge. I I would say it's more of a challenge now than it ever has been before. So, folks, as we open up this subject to you, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day, like marriage, to give you something to really think about.
2: Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on the air.
1: Okay, so Jonathan, let's get started with this and let's go to the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning of this whole thing. This is where we will see the intention of God for his human family.
2: And Rick, this is God's design. He did it this way on purpose, and it's our relationship of commitment.
1: Okay, so it's God's design and our relationship, and we are going to focus for this segment on commitment. So let's go back to the original uh, proclamation, if you will, of what marriage is supposed to look like. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, we're going to break it up into some pieces here.
2: Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him.
1: Okay, so this is a, a, an account that we have talked about countless times in the past on, on this podcast. And the thing is, you have Adam created individually before Eve, and he is created, he's in the midst of the animals, and he's kind of working with the animals. And the observation is that Adam was, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So as we look at verse 20, what's the thing that's most noticeable here?
2: Well... Adam's lonely. He sees the harmony of the animal kind, male and female, but he himself is alone, Rick.
1: So the absence of woman is revealed with the emptiness that he has without her. God's design. He made it that way, I believe, absolutely positively on purpose. So now let's go to verses 21 and 22. So the Lord
2: God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man.
1: So literally what this is saying is God takes a part of Adam and creates Eve. You know, and and you think about that, and there's a lot that can be said. So Jonathan, just uh, the first of the, the next couple of bullet points on verses 21 and 22.
2: Sure, God's creation of women from man gives a sense of equality and companionship.
1: When you think of the idea that He took a piece of the man to create the woman, you know you get a sense that there is a connection. You know that that is is deeper than just um, two strangers coming together. This is this is a connection that is inherent, that is supposed to be built in. As 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 part of what makes us go, so you've got that sense of equality and companionship, and I think that's really important. You know, it, it's often been said that uh, you know God took a rib from Adam, you know, so that woman would walk n- next to him, you know, by his side. That sense of being together. The, the, the next point on this, Jonathan.
2: God presents Eve to Adam to be named as his own companion and helper.
1: All right, so now you know you have the idea of, oh, so Eve's just going to be his little helper, is she? she, she you know, <laughs> she's supposed to wash the dishes and blah, 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 because she's his helper. Well, let's just take a minute on that, because the scripture does say that she is brought to him to be his helpmate or helper. So what, what does that word helper actually mean? Well, Rick, it literally means one who helps. Okay, but it's certainly not in a position. And see that's the key one who helps but certainly not somebody who's in a lesser position and we know that because if we look at psalm 33 verse 20 it helps us to get a sense of that Uh, and what, what is that scripture
2: our soul waiteth for the lord he is our help and our shield
1: okay so who's our help god (laughs) <laughs> is our help? <laughs> so anybody who says that the idea of helper means oh your little helper that gets to tag along and fill in the gaps, um, no. The word is used oftentimes to represent God in our lives. So the idea of helper is not lesser. The idea of helper is to complete something, and I think we have to see it that way. And 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 not only understand it, but but let it sink in that the original union of man and woman was designed to have that strength of working together, no matter what. And it, Jonathan, we have we have several sound bites today, and I just want to take a few minutes and sort of set the set the tone because we're going to hear from several people who are in or have been in very successful marriages. Now, there are, there, there, there's a method to our approach to all of these things. First of all, the prerequisites, to, to, to qualify, to make comments, okay? First of all, all the people we're going to hear from are Christians. Yes. Very serious, dedicated Christians. And I would say that these are not individuals who are just go-to-church-on-Sunday Christians, but they are Christians every day of their lives, Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is they have lived in a successful marriage. They actually get along. They actually do things together and so forth. And the third qualification to be able to, quali- to, to, to comment here is there had to be longevity. We didn't want to hear from somebody married two weeks or two months or two years because that's great. That's exciting. But what about the doldrums of life? What about when you hit the pitfalls? What about when things go backwards? What about when things are upside down? What about when you're just frustrated and angry and and, and all of those things? So we're going to introduce to you our rookie couple. Now, to be a rookie in this in this whole scenario, you have to be married at least 20 years. That's a rookie? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, th- to me, that's a really important point here. Our first couple we're going to hear from. We're going to hear from Doug and Julie. Doug first. They have been married for 20 years. And you say, wow, that's a long time. Well, in the scenario that we're talking about, that, my friend, is a good start. Okay. So just going to hear a short soundbite from from Doug. Uh, Just a little bit of advice from how he looks at marriage and one thing that he focuses on in his marriage to Julie. Hi, this is Doug, and I've been married to Julie for 20 amazing years, going on 21. And if I had any advice, it would be that you should wake up every morning and try to make your spouse's life easier. If you promise to think about that and put it into practice, and each of you can accomplish that, you should have a successful marriage. You know, that is such a simple, straightforward piece of advice. Wake up every morning and think about how can I make my spouse's life easier. Now I love that
2: Rick, <laughs> and that's that's a man after my own heart because I like to think that same way, and uh, and my wife uh, blesses me so many ways that each day also in that same way.
1: And and you know it, it's such a a, a clear cut beginning because it's okay. Wake up in the morning, you know, shake the sleep out of your head, and see if you can get to that point. How what can I do today? today to make my spouse's life easier. So we're going to come back to his spouse, Julie, in a few minutes, but let's let's get back to the the Genesis scripture. We're in Genesis chapter 2. We started with verse 18. We're now up to verse 23, and we're defining the context of the very first marriage.
2: The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh.
1: Okay. So, you know, in the in the uh, New American Standard Bible that we're reading from, it says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my tra- flesh. In another translation, it says, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam's deep companionship desire is now fulfilled. It's like, I've been waiting for this. And that's why God did it that way. Because Adam's wife, Adam's counterpart, Adam's helpmate would become so important to him. I've been waiting for this. This completes my, my, my existence here as he is you know, given dominion in the garden. What's, what's an, another point on verses 23 and 24?
2: And therefore a man at home and clings... That implies, Rick, a lifelong devotion.
1: Okay. When you cling to something, it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, just like hanging on a little bit here or there and, you know, taking a break. No. <laughs> you know, imagine, <laughs> imagine being on a, uh, on a vessel that's in the water and it's going under and you have your life vest. Are you going to just kind of like hang on to it with one hand? Or are you going to cling to that baby (laughs) for dear life? For sure. That's what this is showing us. That's what this means, clings to his wife and that lifelong devotion. And verse 25.
2: And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed.
1: So they become one flesh. They become inseparable and united in every Way and and I think that's the key. That's what this first marriage is showing us. And I, you know, Jonathan, I did, didn't mention this earlier, but obviously, we're doing this uh, uh, February twelfth, February fourteenth is Valentine's Day. We do a program on love and marriage every year because this is when people s- seem to think about it. So that, we want, that's right. We want to capitalize on what you're thinking about and say, let's think deeply about it and let's make a difference by understanding things that maybe we haven't seen as deeply. So let's go to our next soundbite. This is from Doug's wife, Julie. And uh, again, these are our marriage rookies at 20 years of a successful marriage. And I think that's a cool thing to be able to say. 20 years and you're a rookie. That's great. Let's listen to Julie's thoughts.
3: Hi, this is Julie from the CQ team. Doug and I have been married for almost 21 amazing years, and money issues are a huge cause of stress in a marriage, at least in the United States. Using the biblical principle of moderation in all things, my advice is, as a general rule, if you can't pay cash for it, don't buy it. But the real secret is, if you can pay cash for it, don't buy it. You don't need the latest this and that to keep up with everybody else. Be sober, be diligent, be honest. And most of all, collaborative with money and bypass all of that avoidable stress.
1: Not bad for a couple of rookies, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. You know, they, they hit on really two really powerful foundational principles of putting the other first and then making decisions monetarily that are going to be beneficial to both of you, not only in the short term, but in the long run as well. So great, great insight from our marriage rookies. I'm saying that over and over because I like to tease Julie about it.
2: I know that.
1: (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10.
2: Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. For if either of them falls the one will lift up as companion.
1: Okay, two are better than one. So you got this sense of working together, of that give and take, of that teamwork, of that, of that flow that comes when, when two people are exactly on the same page. And that's what we want to look at and see in terms of marriage and how it's supposed to work uh, in our lives. So, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap up this segment, so far we have two simple and profound things. One... It's God's design. And two, it's our commitment.
2: They are simple, but certainly not easy. In this world, any godly institution is going to be tested. Where and how do marriage tests come?
0: We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic.
1: Looking at this world, we clearly see the higher the godliness of the institution, the greater the testing, and the greater the reward. Because marriage is pretty high up on God's list of sacredness, we can predictably observe and feel the magnitude of the testing and the intensity of the results. So, Jonathan, we're really going to be looking at testing as we go through this particular uh, segment uh, because you know, we set the, the, the context and it's all like, oh, everybody's happy and all warm and fuzzy, but life isn't warm and fuzzy. No, it's not, it just isn't. So, we have to be prepared. So, let's remember that marriage is a sacred covenant, a sacred promise that is made between a man and a woman with God and most of the time others as their witnesses. Inviting God to witness something is really serious business.
2: And Rick, I know this might be unusual to some, but when I promised my wife I would be faithful to her, I also promised God I would be faithful to him and not break the marriage covenant which he designed.
1: So what you're saying is that you took it seriously enough to say that, look, this is a forever thing for and and I will not stop at anything. And yes, before God and these witnesses, and to you, God, you're saying, yes, you know, and, and you know, and, and you know, there, the, the value of all of this is that we are in the presence of God when we. And 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 look, I truly, tr- and I know you do too. We truly, truly believe that that we are in the presence of the Almighty God when we come to a point of joining two lives together, and it is the most the most serious, sacred promise of any earthly nature that we can make on this earth as human beings. Now, I'm not talking about spiritual things. We're talking about earthly things. And if we don't realize it and take it as the most important thing, then we are already starting out at a disadvantage. So, As we get started, we're painting the picture. This is serious business, and it is. Let's go to our next married couple. Now, they're both going to be in this soundbite together. This is Andy and Val. And uh, Jonathan, they have been married for 31 years. So, you know, they're not, they don't have that rookie status now. No, they don't. They're a little bit beyond the rookie status, okay? And um, this is a, again, I won't won't, uh, say, say too much ahead of time, but... Listen to the sincerity and the thinking of those who know because they have been there.
4: This is Andy and Val.
1: We've been married for 31 years.
4: And we are going to share 127 biblical secrets to make your marriage work.
3: Or maybe we'll just share two. The first one is, for me, comes from Ephesians 4.26 that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we try really hard to make sure that our disagreements or misunderstandings don't last well into the night. And we make sure we always kiss each other good night. And that makes for a pretty nice way to go to sleep.
4: The second one comes from Philippians two, three through five, and basically that means considering Val's interests more important than my own. So that means, men, when Val comes and talks, that means I stop what I'm doing and I give her my full attention because she matters to me.
1: Pretty powerful, awesome, Rick. It is. It's powerful. So you know the lesson. We all need to stop. <laughs> okay, we all need to stop. We all need to say, okay, Val is speaking. You know, obviously, he's talking for <laughs> all of us with our own wives and so forth. But you know, and Val mentioned in, in their soundbite, Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your, your anger. And we're going to actually be talking about that in the next segment. So that's going to be coming up in a little bit. But again, 31 years of experience, and it's she is important to me. When she comes around, I stop and listen. And her advice is, don't go to bed angry. So very simple things. I would have kind of liked to hear the other 125 that they said they were going (laughs) to (laughs) do. Maybe another time. Uh, So Jonathan, let's go for our theme for this segment is the testing grounds. This is where we find the strengths and weaknesses of spouses. Testing comes from a myriad of sources, but we'll suggest two character traits that support us through all of them.
2: And Rick, um, God did this intentionally. God's design for our relationship of honesty and communication. Oh. And Rick, when it's done right, uh, and you have that honesty and communication, that closeness, I was thinking about Jewel and I. The hardest thing about coming home from a vacation or a trip is not spending every minute together because we miss each other when we have to go back to those routines of life like work, yeah and, and things like that. but that that honesty and communication, especially when you're together uh, for days or weeks at a time, is it's just beautiful.
1: And you know there there's something to be said for that that sense of of togetherness, and you're right. It's This is God's design. God did this on purpose. So our relationship in the first segment was all about commitment. And you saw the depth of commitment that was required. Here we're going to be talking more about honesty and communication. So to get to honesty and communication, we're going to go to a soundbite from Alan Parr, Marriage Killers, Things That Destroy Marriage. And there are four things that he talks about that we're going to be introducing one per segment for the rest of the uh, podcast that destroy marriage. Very powerful things that... Fit very well into the positiveness of what we're trying to accomplish. So let's go to Alan Parr with the first marriage killer.
5: And so from this passage, I want to point out four things that will completely destroy our marriages. Number one, dishonesty. Paul says here, let each of you lay aside falsehood and speak truth to your neighbor. And so this could be anything as simple as exaggerating a story or making a false promise and saying you're going to do something but not following through, or coming up with an excuse just to save face because somebody caught you doing something you didn't expect for them to catch you in, so it's just easier to make an excuse rather than tell the truth, or just straight up coming out lying straight to the person's face. Any of these things will damage trust, and as the old saying goes, trust takes years to build only seconds to break, and a lifetime to repair.
1: Well, that's a great saying. Trust takes oh, it is. years to build, seconds to break, and often a lifetime to repair. And it's interesting, because he's talking about dishonesty, and he's referring to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be referring to Ephesians 4 later on in this segment, as well as throughout the rest of the program, because he focuses on Ephesians 4 to get these four things. But he saying, you know, he talked about dishonesty, and he talked about exaggerating, and he put it in the category of dishonesty. And he talked about excuses, and he put it in the category of dishonesty, and then out and out lying. So we have to be careful, because exaggerating, why do we exaggerate? Because we're trying to cover up something. We're trying to hide something, trying to make something look different than it really is. Well, Rick,
2: Rick, these points are so powerful. Signing up for CQ Rewind, uh, the full edition at christianquestions.com, is key so that we make sure we don't fall into these traps.
1: Yeah, you might want to have those things right in front of you. You know, yeah. th- th- these, uh, th- there's a lot of, you know what, there, there's a lot of refrigerator magnet stuff coming out uh, in today's podcast. Podcast. So CQ Rewind, the full edition of free service available through the Christian Questions app or at christianquestions.com. Again, a free service. Uh, subscribe, give it a try. If you don't like it, you can opt out very, very simply. Okay, dishonesty, and now we want to put that in the context of honesty and communication. The next scripture is Jesus quoting our theme text. Remember, the theme text was from Genesis, about a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Jesus quotes that, this theme text of God's design in our relationship of commitment. Matthew 19, verses 3 to 8. Let's get the context first and then see what Jesus, how Jesus uses the text.
2: Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking,
1: Is it lawful
2: for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all?
1: So the Pharisees are testing Jesus. Okay, to see what side of their interpretive debate on divorce and the law that he would fall on. Because the Pharisees debated these kinds of things amongst themselves in, in, in great detail, especially at that time. There was a huge debate going on, so they're thinking, okay, let's see which side of the debate he falls on. Let's see whose side he's on. You know, there's, there's the, 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 the conservative and the liberal, let's say. That everybody can relate to that, okay? And, yeah. <laughs> and they're debating about this particular subject. So they say, which side are you on? And here's Jesus' response, verses 4 through 6 of Matthew 19.
2: Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate.
3: So
1: Jesus doesn't answer the question then, does he?
2: No, he doesn't.
1: He avoids the question. He, 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 he gives a very honest answer, but it's not about their question. And the Pharisees now, they're not satisfied. See, they cling to the right that Moses gave for divorce, and that's coming up in verse, uh, verses 7 and 8 here.
2: And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way.
1: So Jesus gave an answer, and he didn't satisfy their question. And so they're saying, well, look, you know, and of course, I'm going to paraphrase not only the words, but the attitude, okay? (laughs) This is a big Rick paraphrase coming up. Like, whoa, you know, Moses gave us the right to get a divorce. He said, you give her a certificate of divorce and you're free. And Jesus' response is, you know, and, and they're saying, so if it wasn't important, why did Moses give us that right? Huh? Huh? Tell us that. Now, obviously, I'm adding a lot, you know, with the attitude. But Jesus' response, Jonathan, is so powerful and so profound. He says, because of the hardness of your heart. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. That's not what marriage was meant to be. So when Jesus quotes that first Genesis scripture about the union of man and woman, he's quoting it to solidify the absolute importance of that covenant for life. And, you know, you think about this and and the strength of what he's saying, he doesn't enter into the argument. And he's basically saying to them, why are you thinking about divorce? Why are you not discussing divorce? How to maintain the sanctity of marriage. Instead of debating, you know, what are the grounds for divorce according to the law, why don't you be debating what are the grounds for, for, for increasing the sanctity of the promise that we made? So he turns their argument completely on its ear. So, what has this got to do with honesty and communication? Everything. Jesus' lesson is simple you're parsing and dicing words about divorce. You're not totally focused on the sanctity of what God set forth. He's telling them, wake up. And Jonathan, there's a really important question here about ourselves.
2: There, there really is, Rick. Do we let our minds go into places like these of excuse and rationalization instead of honestly communicating with our spouse?
1: We tend to get what we focus on. The Pharisees, by focusing on what the right grounds for divorce were, again and again, were setting themselves up to have a mind to be able to do it. So our minds can go into places like these of excuses and rationalization. Well, you know, divorce is legal. Well, there are ways that you could get a divorce. Well, why are you thinking that? Why are you saying that? This is not what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be honesty and communication. And Jonathan, if we maintain honest communication with our spouses the whole scenario can change even if it's rocky honesty is key communicating is key you know we can say yeah I communicate I tell them what I think but are we being honest about the whole story about the whole thing honesty is not just telling somebody how I feel inside my heart there's much more to it than that and we're gonna get to that in a a few minutes so again, we tend to get what we focus on. Let's go to our next Christian Questions marriage success story. This is from a 38-year marriage. This is from a, a sister in Christ whose name is Deb, and her husband actually passed away, uh, I think it was uh, one, one or two, two or three years ago, I think, I don't remember exactly when. But uh, we're going to hear from Deb about successful marriage, and her her well, let me just let, let her tell the story.
3: My name is Deb, and I was married for 38 and a half wonderful years. One piece of advice that I had gotten was to always be honest and open, and I was from the very beginning. I met my husband in the promiscuous 70s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I guess I was tired of playing the dating game. So on our first date, I announced to Michael that Biblical principles are a huge part of my life. Part of the list I fired off at him was, I go to church every Sunday, and I do not believe in premarital sex. If he wanted to date me, that was the package. Yes, that was on our first date. I really didn't think I would hear from him again, but I did. Two years later, we were married, and we had a most beautiful marriage for over 38 years.
1: So here's the thing. Deb had total honesty with Michael. Deb's values were more important than making an impression. And because her values were more important than trying to make an impression, she ended up making an impression.
2: Boy, did she make
1: an impression. <laughs> and that's the beauty of honesty from the beginning. And not only having the honesty, but communicating the honesty as well. What a tremendous, tremendous example of how we should be looking at at our lives. Let's go to Ephesians four twenty-five. Wherefore, putting
2: away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another.
1: Okay, that was the scripture that was quoted by uh, Alan Parr in the, in the uh, uh, soundbite a little bit earlier in this segment. Honesty, honest communication, put away lying, speak truth, every man, every man with his neighbor, every man and woman with their spouse. Honest communication, both come from the heart that is open to godly righteousness, it's so much easier to be honest if we are focused on godly righteousness. Let's go to Luke eight fifteen.
2: But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience.
1: Okay, again, with an, uh, which in an honest and good heart. So, Jonathan, this word for honest means what?
2: Well, Rick, it means beautiful. Good and virtuous. Now, have you ever heard of the word honest being beautiful?
1: Well, and and isn't that awesome? It is, it is. And it gives you a sense of something so much bigger than, oh, I'll tell you the honest truth. Beautiful, good, and virtuous. Because, you know, honesty, as brutal as it might need to be sometimes, can always be framed with compassion and mercy. And so that's part of the beauty of honesty. Now, moral honesty is often harder up front and easier in the long run. Deb, in her example, had absolute moral honesty and integrity, and because she did, it made such an an important um, impression on her soon-to-be husband, Michael. Next phrase, Jonathan, is really, really important. What is it?
2: Uh, Communication is simply a learned skill that begins with the high value of your spouse, slowing yourself way down and
1: listening with your heart,
2: Mind and body.
1: Communication is learned. Putting the value of your spouse very high. And when you listen, don't just listen hearing sounds in your ears. Listen with your heart, with your mind, and with your entire body. And I promise you, if you listen like that, you're going to hear things that you never would have heard. And it's going to bring you to the honesty that you need to continue that communication. So, Jonathan, I don't know about you, but I'm good with this so far. It's inspiring and it's motivating.
2: And absolutely not without challenge. We constantly see marriages tested and failing. Infidelity is everywhere. What do we do to avoid it?
0: Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive.
1: Here is one of those areas where honesty and communication have been overridden and replaced with secrecy, selfishness, and a desire to find fulfillment, excitement, or numbness by way of illicit behavior. Look... No two ways about it. Infidelity is as contrary to God's design as you can go. A key understanding point is that it is usually as a result of a breakdown on both sides of the relationship. And Jonathan, this, is, this can be a tough thing because it, there can be he cheated on me or she cheated on me. I would submit to you that there wasn't for a period of time honest communication and that depth of commitment, and there was, there was difficulties on both sides for that to happen. And, and
2: that always seems to be the case, yeah.
1: It, it does, and it's unfortunate, and, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where we have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, what am I responsible for? Maybe, maybe I wasn't the one who did it, but what am I responsible for? And it takes a lot of integrity to be able to do that, but you can find a way through such trials if you are willing to do just that. Let's go back to Depp one more time, married 38 and a half years before her husband um, died. And uh, she, in her first soundbite, told us how she started the relationship with that honest integrity of her high moral values. Now she's going to give us one of those marriage pieces of advice that, that, you know, there's a catchphrase in this that I think is really, hopefully can stick with us. Let's listen.
3: My name is Deb, and I was married for 38 and a half wonderful years. A secret to the success of our marriage was we never got his or hers towels. I'll explain. We didn't live our marriage with his or her anything. We chopped and carried firewood together. We cleaned house together. We worked side by side. Nothing was his, nothing was hers. Everything was ours. We were helpmates. I believe we came to appreciate each other not only for what we did as individuals, but what we did for each other.
1: Okay. No his or hers towels. Now again, the the metaphor there is very clear. Everything is ours. We worked at everything together. And you notice she she talked about the example she gave were us doing things together, working at things together, being part of things together. We uh, were
2: both helpmates.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. We both helped one another, and that goes back to the very first soundbite from Doug. You know, the rookie in <laughs> there for twenty <laughs> years saying, Wake up in the morning, first thing, how can I make my spouse's life easier? Um, so we've gotta, you know, take a look at that, that sense of of togetherness as we talk about infidelity, because this segment we're gonna be talking about the pitfalls of marriage, and infidelity is one of the great pitfalls. And this is where we begin to see the ugly and destructive results of a lack of honesty and communication coupled with a lack of determination and discipline, okay? So there's a lack of honesty and communication coupled with a lack of determination and discipline, okay?
2: And Rick, in God's design, he planned it this way, that our relationship should be of respect one for another. And one of the practical things that my wife and I talk about often, Rick, is do not complain about each other to others outside of our marriage relationship. We should protect each other's um, integrity, um, each other's lives, and, and not bring them down before others. Because
1: so, that's showing a, a lack of respect for your spouse. So, so you're saying you cover each other's faults? Absolutely. You know, and, and see, when you get infidelity, that's exactly the opposite. The, the person who's pursuing the infidelity, and, you know, I want to be clear on this because, you know, yes, there is a difficulty usually on both sides of the issue, but somebody goes out with infidelity, somebody goes out and actually really, really makes a decision to do something that is against that marriage covenant that was made before God. That's a serious, serious thing now, and, and they have to carry the incredible weight of that sin because that's what it is. But, In those situations, what you find often is that person finding solace or numbness or whatever in that other individual that doesn't belong is complaining about their spouse. You know, they don't do this for me and they don't do that and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that protectiveness is gone. Right. There there is no sacredness any longer. And that's a sad, sad situation. So... We're going to go to another scripture, and again, the original theme text from Genesis is cited. And Jonathan, it's cited again and again and again in the New Testament, and we're going through these different sightings of that verse of a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, because it was such an important principle that was set out in Genesis, it pops up everywhere under different circumstances. So now, here we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 three twenty.
2: Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ?
1: So here at this point, you know, you're getting the, the context in place, and it's sounding, this is very spiritual stuff. You know, your bodies are members of Christ. There's no idea, no thinking about infidelity at this point. You're like, whoa, this is high-level spiritual thinking. Praise God for that. What's next?
2: Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh.
1: So he takes that high spiritual teaching that God, your bodies are members of Christ. And he says, don't get involved in immorality because you're taking that body That has been given to Christ, and you're being unfaithful to your marriage with it. Why would you do that? Let's continue.
2: But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body.
1: So again, you've got this spirituality that the Apostle Paul is bringing to the the church. Now, it's interesting that he's saying this to the Corinthians. Uh, The city of Corinth was a very, very sinful, corrupt place. And bringing Christians out of that was a real task. And the Apostle worked really hard at helping them to understand how high the levels of Christianity are in relation to the, the activity that they were used to previously. So he's using a very dramatic example here of our commitment to God through Christ and saying, you can't take that and sin against your marriage because you're sinning not only against the covenant, you're sinning against your own body. And, and, and Jonathan, look, for Christians, Christians are humans too. And we're subject to difficulties, we're subject to lust, we're subject to desires, we're subject to our own faults, and sometimes we end up finding ourselves in mentally compromising situations. That's right, that's true. And that can lead to physically compromising situations. So following this reasoning of the Apostle Paul can help us to sort of pull back, pull back and see what's higher. Let's go to verse... Um, verses 19 and 20.
2: Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body.
1: Your body is the temple of God's Spirit. Within your person, if you are a true dedicated follower of christ and you have been called and that call has been answered uh, by you and, and and you have been given god's spirit his power and his influence that power and influence dwells in you which means that you have been purchased jesus ransom has now been paid for you and it's been it's been uh solidified it's been guaranteed by giving you the spirit and he's saying You've been bought with a price. So what does that mean if you're a Christian?
2: You do not even own the opportunity for infidelity, Rick.
1: Because you've been bought. That's right. You belong to God through Christ. A person who's not a Christian owns their own body. Okay, Now, it doesn't mean that they have a right to commit infidelity. Please don't, Please don't misinterpret this. But what this is saying is for the Christian— This is so much more serious because you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are bought. You are paid for. You, therefore, have committed yourself to act in a godly fashion. So that's just another level of thinking for the Christian to combat the infidelity. But again, Jonathan, we're human. We see things. We start to think things, we might have some internal resentment and argument and disagreement and dissatisfaction and, and frustration at home, and those things in our world can play all kinds of games and work their way into our thinking. And that brings us to the next marriage killer from Alan Parr. Let's listen to the second marriage killer.
5: Number two is anger. Notice Paul says here, be angry, but do not sin. So he's not suggesting here that you have no right or reason to be angry, but rather when you do get angry, that you do not sin. How do we do that? One of the ways that we do that is to remain angry and refuse to resolve conflict. Paul goes on to give us a time frame in which we should resolve all of our conflicts. He says, do it before the sun goes down. Why should we do that? It's because that whenever we don't do that, he goes on to say that we are giving the devil an opportunity. An opportunity for what? It is to fill our minds with thoughts of anger, thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of unforgiveness, thoughts of temptation, negative thoughts about the other person. So remember the principle that when you and your spouse are not speaking to each other, the devil is speaking to both of you.
1: Boy, that that last phrase, repeat that last phrase that he just said. That was powerful.
2: When you and your spouse are not speaking to each other, the devil is speaking to both of you.
1: All right. So as a Christian, take that to heart. Infidelity is simply not an acceptable uh, measure under any circumstances for those who are following Christ. But Jonathan, we're human. And anger is one of the reasons that we can talk ourselves into infidelity. We can get angry and we can justify ourselves. And, you know, uh, Andy and Val said earlier, don't let the sun go down, you know, on on your anger. And this is the classic thing. When you are angry and you refuse to resolve the conflict, you give yourself permission to stay angry. And with that permission, you give yourself permission to take another step and another step. And the end is not, not good. Ephesians 6, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27.
2: Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, Rick, forgiveness and talking it through, humility is required. Sometimes it's hard to admit you're wrong and sometimes it's hard to take the first step, but it is worth it.
1: You know, and and that's so true. The first step is sometimes just the hardest thing. But if we can suck it up and take that first step with humility, then we can begin the process, that slow, tedious, but fruitful process of making things right. So, you know, here's the thing. How, How do we get to a point of infidelity? How do we get there?
2: Well... Uh, Very slowly and
1: carelessly, Rick. (laughs) Okay, slowly and carelessly. It doesn't just happen. It's a slow process that finds its way in carelessness. We scarcely listen or communicate. And that leaves us with a relationship that's based on me and therefore disrespectful to my spouse. If you let those words digest inside of your head... We scarcely listen or communicate, and that leaves us with a relationship that's based on me, and therefore, if it's based on me, it's not respecting my spouse. And when we disrespect our spouse, we have given ourselves permission to step in places we don't belong.
2: So I'm more important than my spouse is, because it's me. Right. I was hurt. I was wrong. So it doesn't matter about them. Oh. That, that's very dangerous.
1: It is. And, and look, we're human, and we can go down that road. But just remember, just remember Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have
2: tender grapes.
1: The little foxes that spoil the vines. It said that the little foxes couldn't reach the actual, actual fruit, so they would gnaw away at the vine, and they'd actually kill the vine instead of just eating the fruit. And so the little foxes are the things you got to work out, look out for. One of the hardest things to do in life is to stop what starts out as little things. Matthew five, twenty-seven to thirty really addresses this.
2: You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Rick, don't allow an improper thought to take root. Instantly pray for forgiveness if a lustful thought comes in. Honor your spouse. Develop integrity of the heart. God knows all, God hears all, and he sees all.
1: Yeah, you can't hide. You can't hide from, from the truth, okay? And once something evil takes root in our heart, it can only produce a poison plant. That's really what you're setting the guidelines for. Verse 29 and 30, parts of 29 and 30 of Matthew 5.
2: And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee.
1: Again, metaphorical language. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how determined am I to hate to the point of severing that which is an evil temptation in my life? Am I willing to cut off, like you said, cut off the evil temptation and put it away from me? Or am I going to say, well, it's not so bad? Folks, when we go down that road, we're asking for serious trouble. We're asking for life-ruining kinds of trouble there. Let's go to the other side of the issue, Jonathan, shall we? Let's go to another uh, marriage testimony. This is from Tom, uh, and he has been married for 40 years. Yes, we've broken the 40-year mark. Let's listen to the advice.
4: My name is Tom My wife Cheryl and I have been married for about 40 years now, and one thing that has helped our marriage is that when we went into it, we believed there was no turning back. We were determined to make it work, so we had no plan B. And of course that meant being sure we had chosen the right person. Another factor that has helped us tremendously is that we had both made an individual commitment to serving God before we were together. So when we did get married, we had a set of principles that we both believed in and which has helped mold our our own relationship, but of course, these are only starting points. Success comes in trying as best we can to put godly principles into practice. I'll tell you, one of the great things about
1: that was no plan B. I like that. Yeah, you know, and and really, that's what it comes down to: no plan B. First Peter four eight.
2: Above all, fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins.
1: See, that's how we avoid getting into infidelity and all of those things. We have to have that fervent love one for another to be willing to cover the sins of our spouse and the, and the, and the faults and the difficulties, not expose them. So, Jonathan, what this does is this reminds me that the things in life with the greatest beauty are also the things that are most fragile.
2: You're right, and I think the point is clear. Enough of the infidelity discussion. What about the polar opposite, marriage's highest standards?
0: We've been studying Scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation.
1: You know, we've got to remember that the road to the lowest low we were just speaking about is unfortunately a common denominator for many people in their lives. They can identify with the feelings that bring you there. The highest high of marriage standards will therefore, by definition, not be so common, for the steps needed are uncommon and difficult, but incredibly rewarding. And that's where we want to go next, Jonathan. We, we, last segment, we, we talked about the, the, the lowest of low. And again, there is so much that goes into that. And it's the little things that get started. And if you will, if you don't have that commitment and that honesty and that communication and that trust, you're going to end up in places where you're, you're going to wake up and say, what happened? We want to go the other direction, to the highest standard. And here is where we see New Testament biblical principles shining out in a very dark world. So now we're really going to be looking at and trying to zero in on the highest standards of marriage.
2: Well, Rick, God designed it, and here is how it works. Our relationship of compatibility and love. And uh, personal application, when I'm at work, often I receive cute texts of thinking of you, love you, miss you, to keep that beautiful connection going.
1: You know, and and that is, that's such a a great thing because what you, the last thing you said, to keep that connection going. Folks, whatever it takes to keep that connection going, do the things that are necessary to keep that connection going because otherwise we get into something else and that's the third uh, marriage killer. The first one was dishonesty. The second one was anger. Go back to Alan Parr for the third marriage killer.
5: Number three, unhealthy communication. I want you to notice four things here. First of all, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And so this could be cursing at the person, being overly critical of the person, being judgmental of the person, or just outbursts of anger. Any of these things will ultimately destroy and deteriorate your marriage. Second of all, he says, instead of that, be intentional about using your words to build the person up affirm them and encourage them. Third, he says, according to the need of the moment. And so he's basically saying here that we need to discern what is the right time to say whatever is on our heart. And then finally he says, so that our words will give grace to those who hear. So now he's not talking about what we say or when we say it, but how we say it. So the tone of voice that we use can determine whether or not it is received positively or negatively.
1: So, Jonathan, communication. Communication is a great, great tool. It's a great thing. It's a learned behavior. But the problem with communication is it can be unhealthy. And when we go down the road of unhealthy communication, you know, he he mentioned cursing and being critical and being judgmental and outbursts and all those kinds of things. Those are unhealthy signs of communication. You know, in, in... In terms of of marriage, in terms of parenting, for me, one of the basic principles I have always tried really hard to follow, not going to say I've always done a good job, okay, but I've really tried, is to have anger only be used as a tool when it was something that needed to be expressed for a specific reason, not because I felt angry. Generally speaking, if I felt angry, I would have a talk with myself and say, look, just because you feel that way doesn't mean it's right. And th- that helped me to look more toward healthy versus unhealthy communication. So he, he mentioned Ephesians 4.29, and let's, let's break this, this scripture down a little bit because there's great stuff here. Selfless love is what provokes the ability to live and speak according to that scripture about no unwholesome word proceeding out of your mouth, but only things that are good, and so forth. So three basic bullet points, Jonathan. Let's go through them.
2: No unwholesome, rotten, putrefied words, but words of edification, architecture, confirmation.
1: Okay, no unwholesome. The word unwholesome means rotten, and I love the next word, putrefied. Is that crazy? That's disgusting. (laughs) That's what it is. If something is putrid, it is disgusting. There's nothing good left in it. And, I mean, you talk about, uh, I mean, it, what, a, what an image, okay? So, no putrid communication. But the word, he says, but use words of edification. Now, the word edification comes from the word edifice, which means you're building something. So, the word actually means architecture, because you're building something. So, the idea is your words have to be building something intentionally, something good, What's, what's the next point on, on Ephesians 4.29?
2: Well, Rick, it's speak words that are valuable according to the need of the moment.
1: Not only valuable words, but according to the need of the moment. Now, how do you know what the need of the moment is? You can only know if you've been listening. Truly, truly listening. Because if you've been listening, you'll understand the moment. If you haven't been listening, you can, you'll just react. If you have been listening, remember we said listen with your head and your heart and your whole body? If you've been listening, you will respond, not just react. What's the next point?
2: The end result of our words should be grace to the hearer.
1: Favor, goodness to the hearer. And I submit to you that even things that you have to say that are difficult can still come across in a graceful fashion, if we don't use those putrefied words, if we look to build something positive, and if we are focusing on the need of the moment. I mean, there is a whole sermon right here in this little part of this text. It's really powerful. So with this in mind, we go to the next section of scripture that again quotes our theme text. Again, the theme text appears, though the actual quote is going to be in the next segment, but we're going to build the context for that. Before we go there, though, Jonathan, we have another marriage testimony coming up. This one from Paul and Joyce. And how long have they been married? 41 years, right? Okay, so they're just a little bit ahead of uh, Tom and Cheryl in the previous one. Uh, Paul and Joyce, 41 years. Let's see what they have to say about advice from a successful marriage. <music>
5: ¶¶ Hi, this is Paul. And this
3: is Joyce, and we've been married for 41 years.
5: And I guess the secret to our longevity is we try to follow Ephesians 5 that says husbands ought to love their wives. So what that means to me is that a husband should tell his wife that he loves her as often as possible.
3: And it also says that wives should respect their husbands, and this really does not mean that there should be an abuse to the, to the wife, that she should respect her husband, but when we do have important decisions in our life, we discuss it to the end of the end, and then whatever my husband decides is what we go with. And sometimes I don't always agree, but this basic scriptural concept does seem to be something that works in the long term. When you marry for a long time, you really have to commit to the concept of longevity.
1: So you know, I think that that was there's great power in that statement because both both sides. But you know, I'm I'm thinking about what what Joyce said at the end about you know I don't always agree, but that scriptural concept works because they're committed to longevity. And look, you make it 41 years, something's got to be. And if and if you're still happy, something has got to be going right.
2: <laughs> for sure,
1: so let's take a look at uh, our relationship you You talked about it a little bit earlier in this segment, our relationship of compatibility now, compatibility, Jonathan, you know sometimes people get married and they're not necessarily totally compatible in every way in life. you know they don't fit each other like a glove, for instance, in, in all aspects of their lives, mm-hmm. so compatibility, I submit to you, according to scripture, can be built, can be. Uh, mastered and can be put in place, even if there isn't a natural compatibility. How do you do that? Well, as a woman, as women seem more capable to love than men. I mean, let, let's, guys, let's face it, okay? We're, 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 we're way, way, way behind when it comes to that sense of being able to love. I just, you know, some people might say, well, there's a gross generalization. Yep, it is. But check it out. Okay, Check it out amongst most men, and you're going to find that they, they are not inherently wired to love the way women are. Uh, because women are wired that way, they are instructed to focus on the relationship-building exercise of finding compatibility in acknowledging headship of their husband. Now, we're going to get more into that a little bit later. Let's go to Ephesians five twenty two to 27.
2: Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything.
1: Now, again, if you take this Bible verse all by itself, it does not seem like something that would foster love and compatibility.
2: No. Because you take
1: it and the husband says, see, you got to listen to me. And the wife says, okay, dear. And that's not what this verse is saying, not even a little bit. It seems like it would foster resentment and disunity, and that's why we can't take verses and just pluck them out of Scripture. We have to put them in the context that they were meant to be. So it's too easy to fall into a communication trap if we we get stuck here. Okay, so we've got to finish the story.
2: And Rick, I think a deep respect— is kind of the underlining uh, of this these verses cuz there's a need that men have husbands need to feel respect from their wives that that helps them to move forward to to build their lives together it gives them what they need to make the marriage work without that respect ingredient things fall apart
1: well yeah you're right and and it's really important for us to understand the real necessity of acquiescing to these scriptural principles god's design he put the scriptures in place he knows what he's doing you know we need to to follow through let's go to another marriage uh, advice from this is from russ and camille and uh, they have been married for 43 years so a couple years ahead of paul and joyce there so let's hear what they have to say
0: This is Russ and Camille. We've been married for 15,826 days.
4: That's over 43 years. We've learned to smile at the idiosyncrasies of each other.
0: We believe that the reason for our successful marriage has been a commitment to forever with each other.
4: We had a lot in common in our upbringings as kids, so our expectations for marriage and raising our own children were similar.
0: There's a constant respectful evaluation and acquiescence to each other's needs and wants within our marriage.
4: The ability to adapt and change as situations dictate has also been valuable.
0: With the Lord and Scripture as our guide, we try to fulfill God's will in all aspects.
1: So you can tell that somebody's an engineer in that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> most people say, yeah, we've married 43 years. He says that 15,826 days. <laughs> but, you know, they, they talked about smiling. They talked about a commitment to forever. They talked about adapting when the situation required it. But they talked about all of those things in the context of each other. And that is one of the secrets of building compatibility, Part of it is for the wife, like you were saying, to find the, and, and acknowledge the headship and the respect toward the husband and, you know, our, in our relationship of love now, because that helps to build compatibility in our relationship of love. The, a wife shows selfless love, like you said, by deeply respecting her husband, as in Galatian, uh, Ephesians 5 that like we just read. A husband has to be respectable and reciprocate by deeply loving his wife. This may not be the most natural thing for him to do. So the scriptures not only tell us, but they tell us again and again and again to make sure, because sometimes men are thick, to make sure we get (laughs) the point. Ephesians 5, let's start with verse 25.
2: Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave
1: himself up for her. And Jonathan, because men can so easily be all about themselves— or their work or their team this verse is a resounding reminder of where their truest earthly loyalty and sacrifice is to be focused you know you, you being speaking as a man you may have a demanding job you may be part of a, of, of of things that, that take a lot of your time and your effort and your energy and your focus and your determination and, and, you know, you may come home from all of that exhausted. Now, first of all, you can't say that wives don't go through the same thing. Okay, let's just... You're right. <laughs> okay, But speaking as a man, okay, so, so, so women, just, just give, give us this moment here. You come home, and the exhaustion is no excuse to not deeply love and cherish your wife. Because Jesus, remember throughout his earthly ministry, just was on a continual downward spiral of the loss of his energy as he healed people. And he kept on doing it, and he kept on giving until there was literally nothing left to give. That's our example.
2: And Rick, how do you show love uh, to your spouse? Well, I, I still get excited when I hear the garage door opening when Jewel's coming home and I say to our dog mommy's home and he wags his tail and runs to the door we open the door we're waiting turn on the light waiting for her to come up the stairs so we can greet her and show her how much we love her Um, it it, is just that feeling that we have where when I'm pulling in the driveway I cannot wait to come upstairs and give Jewel a big hug and say I'm home
1: so, it's that sense of coming together because you are coming back to what has completed you, to what you have committed to, to what you have communicated with, to the honesty and to the integrity and to the compatibility and to the love. It all comes together and, and, and gives us a, a great strong sense here. So, let, let's get back to this example of uh, in the scripture just as Christ loved the church, what else did Jesus do in this example that we need to learn from and emulate? Verse 26.
2: So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word.
1: Okay, Jesus gave his bride the highest spiritual honor, sanctification. See, to sanctify something means to set it aside for a holy purpose. It's not supposed to be for anything else, but the highest of purposes. So Jonathan, as a man, we have to ask ourselves, do we truly set our wives aside For and treat them with that kind of high, cherished respect. I mean, there's a powerful lesson for us right there. Verse uh, verse 27.
2: That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and blameless.
1: Jesus set his bride up to be glorious and blameless. Do we cherish our wives and see their glory? Do we truly
2: appreciate all they are and all that they do? And if not, the marriage can fall apart.
1: So marriage can not only be a lofty thing, it can bring great honor and privilege.
2: Remember, it's God's design. Marriage is clearly central in scripture. Is there even more to its importance than the relationship?
0: If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy.
1: So as we get our conclusion, we do need to examine the other part of marriage for Christians, the part where it is used as a sacred symbol of something that is heavenly, higher, and hopeful, not only for us, but for the entire world. So first, let's finish our discussion on men's role. Yep, man, you're not off the hook yet. And responsibility to their wives. Again, we're going back to the highest standard in terms of marriage. And again, here's where we see the New Testament biblical principles bring us to the heights of the marriage covenant and that's where we want to go to Jonathan we want to go to the heights of the marriage covenant so how do we do that
2: well with God's design uh, here's how it works our relationship of compatibility and love is continued and uh, a personal application treat your spouse wonderful every week for a date night make time to talk about the week to show each other you care, to open the door, pull out the chair, and to enjoy a meal and conversation is a great way to show that compatibility and love.
1: Yeah, and you know, Jonathan, for me, you know, in in my own experience, uh, that little thing is such a huge part of my week. Literally, on Monday when I get back to things, the first thing I think about is I can't wait for Friday because Friday. Trish and I are going to go out and you know what? And it's nothing, it's nothing big and fancy. We're going to go out and we're going to sit by ourselves at a table and we're going to talk and I don't care what's going on around us. I get to talk to my wife and I, I've learned over time and it's difficult because you know me, I'm a very intense individual. (laughs) Yes. I've learned how to turn it all off to just stop and just be able to, to just sort of go back and forth. And to me, that is one of the greatest things in all of life. So you're right, that, that compatibility and love. Find those moments and make them special and cherish them. Back to Ephesians 5, to 33. We're in verses verse 28 right now.
2: So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves...
1: Okay, yeah, you broke up a little bit. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So for men... The loving of their wives has to be put into the context of their own self-care. Now, again, men, think of it as the way you would take care of yourself. That's the way you take care of your wife. That's how important it's got to be because men are really, really self-absorbed. Generally speaking, sorry guys, but you know and I know it's true. Let's get over that and let's be wife-spouse-absorbed. I think that's the way we've got to go through this. So let's go back to the last of the marriage killers from Alan Parr. First was dishonesty. Second was anger. Third was unhealthy communication. And now we go to the fourth and final one.
5: And number four is unforgiveness. Notice Paul says here to forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you And so let me speak to the singles for just a moment. If you're watching this video and you know you get your feelings hurt quickly, you get offended quickly, and it takes you a long time to extend forgiveness to someone else, you may want to consider whether marriage is for you because things come up even on a daily basis that will require you to extend forgiveness to your spouse. Marriage, as one person defined it, is a continual
1: act of forgiveness. Okay, so there's a there's a powerful, powerful lesson there as well. And Jonathan, I want to take a, a, a side a side street for just a moment here. You know, we've been focusing on and working on building up the principles of marriage and how important it is. But, you know, we're leaving a segment of society out of this conversation. And what if you are a Christian and you're single? What if you're single because something tragic has happened in your life and now you find yourself single? Or what if you're single because... You just never found somebody who's got the same Christian principles as you. What do you do? That is such an important question that I wanted to mention it here. We're going to do an entire podcast on that uh, in a few weeks because that needs to be addressed. So if you're listening to this and you're single and you're saying, what about me? Stay with us because we're going to d- devote an entire podcast to working on, working through such things in, in your life. So that, that'll be coming in a few weeks. Stay tuned for that. Jonathan, let's go to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Those were the verses that um, the last soundbite was referring to.
2: Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you.
1: Okay, so the idea is... For both men and women, this is a piece of fundamental, fundamental living advice right here. Focus on the most important things. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Okay, so they exist. Yeah, and what's your point? I mean, that's the way we've got to be able to look at that. What's your point with things like that? We've got to rise above those things and say... Those are not the things that are going to drive my life. Those are not going to drive how I treat my wife. Those are not going to drive our marriage. Let them be put away from you. Let's get back to Ephesians chapter 5. We were in 5, 22 to 33. We got up to verse 28. So let's pick up with verse 29.
2: For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church.
1: All right. You know, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a great statement. You know, you nourish and cherish yourself. You think about, you stub your toe. What do you do? You know, you, you, you hop around and make all kinds of noise and sounds. You grab that foot and you, you want to take care of it. You get hungry and what do you do? You find something to eat. You get tired and you try to find a way to sleep. You feel like you need to get away, so you try to find an outlet to do that. We naturally take care of ourselves. So here's where we're beginning to truly see a higher meaning and purpose than the highest earthly relationship. Because it says, "You don't have, no one ever hated their own flesh, but takes care of it, like those examples. And then it says, just as Christ also takes care of the church. So the apostle is, is, is saying, hey, there's something more here. There's something more to marriage here that you haven't thought of yet. Let me give this to you, because this is the higher picture and purpose for marriage. And this is where, again, we're going to see that theme scripture come out um, in the New Testament, this time in Ephesians 5, verses, we're going to read verses 30 30 to 32.
2: Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am
1: speaking with reference to Christ and the Church. So now, you know, we've had this verse quoted as the standard of marriage. We've had it quoted as, this is the thing you should be thinking about, not divorcing, but thinking about this. We've had it quoted in the context of, you know, fleeing, running away from immorality and fornication. And now we have it quoted as a picture of something much bigger, something much greater. I mean, this is powerful stuff. Not only is marriage the highest earthly covenant of all time, but the human institution of marriage is, while it's sacred to humanity in this world here and now, it's also a picture of the unity and combined power of the true church united with Jesus as ambassadors for for the kingdom. That's really something. That is. So one of the reasons... One of the many reasons that we need to really work on and focus on that marriage covenant and commitment and honesty and communication and all of those things is not only for the sake of what we are doing, but for the sake of what we are representing. The apostle tells us we are representing something higher. We're representing the unity of Christ in the church. And that to me is breathtaking. How does this section of Scripture end in Ephesians chapter 5? Let's go to verse 33.
2: Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband.
1: So again, it's been saying love your wife, love your wife, love your wife as yourself, and it says, and then it reminds us, and the wife is to respect her husband. Two things that may not be easy and natural, but two things that are absolutely necessary.
2: How many years have you and Trisha been married, Rick?
1: We've been married for 30, uh, let's see, 37 years. We're going on 38. Awesome. Okay, awesome. and you?
2: Uh, it's a little over 30 years. We just celebrated our 30th. And just real quick before we get to a really gem of a soundbite, um, I believe giving is one of the most important qualities in a spouse. First, um, both giving to their life, their life to God and working together to serve him but giving your spouse your time, giving them your attention, your care, your trust, your respect, your support and help, giving of your talents to each other. Uh, Like I like to clean, which is really weird for a guy, but I help my wife out by cleaning. I'm not good on the computer, so she's there to support me and use that talent to help me with computer things. So giving is sacrificial, agape love. If each spouse focuses on giving and not receiving, That will lead to a marriage which is loving and God honoring.
1: Yeah, and you know, just along those lines, uh, in 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 our in our relationship, my wife is an incredible an incredible giver. Um, She sometimes life is very demanding, and and especially with Christian questions and all that. And she just literally she plows the road for me, without a word of complaint every single day. It's what do you need? How can I help? What do you need? How can I help? And, and, and Jonathan, it is breathtaking. And what it does is it gives me that next level of inspiration to say, yeah, maybe I can do this, even when it feels like it's too heavy and too difficult. So you're right. Giving is a key thing. With that in mind, let's go to our final soundbite. This is Florence and George, married for 65 years. 65 years. The soundbite's a little bit longer, but you know what? They can take as much time
4: as they want. George and I have been married for 65 wonderful years. There's much that could be said, but these are a few hints that might be helpful to you. Throughout each day, strive to show your love by watching for little things that would be a helpful blessing. Try not to wait until you are asked for assistance, but take the initiative by having a constant lookout to see how you can be a greater help to one another. Even in the little things, like taking out the garbage, help in washing dishes, making the bed, going grocery shopping, helping in putting on one another's coats... Try to completely remove from your thoughts something is a man's work or a woman's work. The willingness to do whatever is in the realm of possibility to assist one another. Whether it's cutting the grass, painting a wall, or by preparing supper, this manifests a love from the heart that is sure to be appreciated and reciprocated on. Occasionally, surprise your mate with a not-for-any-reason small token of your love for them. Could be one rose, a box of candy, a new tie, etc.
1: 65 years of marriage. That is an amazing Beautiful. story. It is an amazing story, the little things. And you know, and that's what she talks about. The little things. Take initiative, think ahead. Don't worry about a man's work or a woman's work. Worry about our work. And, you know, it just gives you such a sense of breaking down all of those walls that get built up where resentment... You know, resentment gets built behind walls. And if we can break down those walls and not have those reasons, the resentment won't come. And we can be building a positive relationship and building an edifice of something powerful and spectacular in relation to marriage. So our final text for today... Uh, let's read this scripture as though it were designed primarily as a marriage guide. Now, it's not designed primarily as a marriage guide, but think of it in those terms for today. Think of this as a guide to true commitment, which was our first and most basic marriage ingredient. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4.
2: Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love,
1: united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, we'll pause there. I mean, fellowship of spirit, affection and compassion, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see how it's all going together into one thing, one thing, one thing make your lives one thing those two candles become one those two separate entities become entwined together so you can't tell where one ends and the other one begins that's what our marriage is supposed to look like all of the above shows us compatibility and sacred selfless love in action um let's continue verses three and four of philippians chapter two
2: do nothing from selfish or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others.
1: So you see how the scripture shifts here. Nothing from selfish or empty conceit, okay? Yes, I know you're an individual, but put that aside. Humility of mind regarding others more important than yourselves. Yes, I know you're an individual, but you're married. You've got somebody else in your life that's really, really important. Don't merely look out for your personal interests. Yes, they're important. But what about those of your spouse? I go back to our very first soundbite again, what Doug said, wake up in the morning, the first thing, how can I make my spouse's life easier? Um, final scripture, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10.
2: Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble
1: as long as you practice these things now look we are taking that scripture a little bit out of context by saying let's apply this to marriage but the principles do apply we have talked about several kinds of things that we need to do in our lives so that we can be clearly focused on creating success in marriage you know i don't know that we talk about those two words together often enough success and marriage those things have got to go together in such a way so that our lives are reflective of what God meant, what God intended, what God designed, his design, our relationship. For Jonathan to Rick and Christian Questions, we truly hope you've enjoyed being with us today. This has been one of those one of those uh, podcasts where you just say, hey, there's something here that I have to learn, I have to take in, I have to absorb, I have to apply, and my life can be better. Make it work, dedicate yourself, rededicate yourself to that marriage commitment in your life. Until next week, marriage, make it work. Think about it. And folks, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Has Christianity Been Corrupted? Part 2. We look forward to talking to you next week.